0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: What happens when the person you most want to influence is you? Setting and achieving goals for yourself at work, home, and in relationships is harder than it seems. So how do you know where to start? Eilat Fishbach, professor of behavioral science at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, has focused much of her career determining what motivates people, from how how do you carry on in the face of roadblocks and distractions to how you decide which tasks and ambitions to prioritize when facing multiple responsibilities. Through her research, let discovered that there is a certain structure for getting things done. Understanding why your goals are important is a critical first step. However, there's a balancing point where your goals must be fun or intrinsically motivating. I let use as an example of putting together a financial plan. Unfortunately, most people do not believe this to be a fun exercise, which is likely why families put off dealing with their financial situations until they are forced to do so. An often overlooked aspect of achieving your goals is a is ensuring you have the right support people around you to help. Eilat discusses why having people who understand your goals and can be supportive is a highly motivating factor in achieving success. Please enjoy my conversation with Eilat Fishbach. So Eilat Fischbach, hopefully I didn't butcher your last name, Welcome, no, to the, <laughs> welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Fishbach, that, that's how you pronounce it, correct?
1: I, yes. Thanks for checking.
2: <laughs> no problem. Um, well, I, I think our viewers are in for a real treat uh, today because your book, Get It Done, and your background as a behavioral science, scientist has really focused on motivation and goals and as we were talking before we hit record there's probably not a better time to do that than the beginning of a new year so um so i've been excited to to get to know your work over the years and uh and now to have you on as a guest so thank you very much
1: thanks for having me it's exciting to be here
2: so i think that the the place to start i let is to talk about your background because I've I've spoken with several behavioral scientists over the years on the show, and I'm always interested. How in the world did you get into the world of behavioral science?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it, it's a good question, and uh, uh, it's not something that I could have anticipated. So I. Uh, I'm a first generation uh, uh, in, in going to college. I, I grew up in uh, in, in Israel, in, in a small socialist community, uh, uh, kibbutz, where education was not really uh, uh, something that people valued too much. And I uh, went to Tel Aviv University and, and I they, they got my college degree and, and then just stayed there and, and wanted to uh, Get a PhD in social psychology. So I knew I was excited about social psychology, uh, but back then motivation wasn't really a big topic in uh, the behavioral science. Uh, it, behavioral economics was just starting. It was uh, uh, maybe 25 years ago. Wow, uh, that's a long time. And, uh, it, and it just wasn't a, a, a big field, uh, but it was on my mind constantly because as, as a graduate student, you kind of need to motivate yourself, you kind of need to, to find your way. And so I, I just couldn't think of uh, something that kept me thinking more than how do people do that. And I, I went to read and I think like, I found all kind of like European uh, uh, researchers that were doing relevant work and some of the classic like Kurt Lewin uh, uh, that were uh, thinking about goals and, and, and motivation and uh, and just got hooked and, um, and and thought that maybe it's a temporary phase, but I guess it's not because I'm still doing it.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say you've been you've been doing it now, so and so I would I would agree with you. Not a not a temporary phase. So how did you how did you end up at the University of Chicago?
1: That by accident. Okay, so that
2: this sounds like a good story.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, like the, the way uh, academic jobs uh, work is that they, basically there are no positions. Okay, So uh, this is the reason why we often don't advise people to get a PhD in psychology because there are no uh, academic positions. And so you apply to... um like whatever you think might be uh, possible. Uh, I was a postdoc at the University of Maryland after completing my PhD uh, in, in Israel and uh, kind of applied to the 10 positions in psychology that sounded interesting. And someone suggested, how about this business school? Uh, they they, they care about psychology. Uh, uh, Richard Taylor is here. Is the person who basically started behavioral economics. They, they are looking to hire psychology. So I applied with really very low expectations that they will invite me for an interview, and no expectations whatsoever. That uh, that was in two thousand and one. That in twenty twenty three, I would still be here, uh, and and basically like my life is here. Uh, I, so attached to my uh, university and my colleagues and and the work that we uh, do together and so kind of uh, uh, you know you just sometimes need to let life uh, take you places and that would happen.
2: Yeah, because I had, I've, I saw on your on your LinkedIn profile that you had been at at University of Chicago for over twenty years and that's uh, that's that's pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, I, I tried to leave at one point, but uh I, I missed them too much and so I came back.
2: I was gonna say it probably wasn't the Chicago weather that kept you there.
1: Uh, no, no. There are things we can still improve.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's dive right into y- your book, Get It Done. Um, what was the what was the motivation? We'll talk a lot about motivation, but what was your motivating factor for for writing the book
1: okay so i'm doing this work in motivation for like you know, 20 years and the field is exploding and what seemed like a, a small field where it's just like the the 15 of us and we all know each other is now a uh, huge and there are now journals that are dedicated to uh, motivation science it, it, like, it's big in psychology it's big in uh, behavioral economics and it feels like a very massive room in my mind. And so I think to myself, how about I just put an, an order into things and I, I was at Yale uh, that year, and I, uh, that was in uh, 2019. Uh, I was kind of organizing things for myself. And as I'm just like reading the studies again, and, and trying to think like, how do they fall into different buckets? I realized that there was actually structure, okay? I, I actually discovered something, which was interesting because usually when I think about discovering something, I think about discovering in the data, not in the papers that I'm reading. And what I discovered is that everything that I'm reading, all these strategies, they fall into four buckets, which is setting a goal, monitoring the progress toward these goals okay so looking back looking forward learning from feedback the third packet is managing multiple goals self-control conflicts okay patience and then the fourth packet is social support okay how do we work with others how do we work in the presence of uh, others and 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 so on and and this discovery was like uh well so i should write this i i I should write a book and i uh, started by writing this to my daughter who was in med school uh, back then she's now a resident uh, she liked it she gave good feedback and so i thought well i guess uh, this discovery is, is worth sharing with the world here's get it done the book
2: that is that's is a great story and, and how you tie how you tie your daughter into it i think is really really fascinating <laughs> because what what were you done if she said no mom this is not good stuff <laughs>
1: Oh, I, you would have never seen that. They like You know, the, the nice thing about having a, a kids that, well, you know, teenagers are too critical, but kids that are a bit over being critical teenagers is that they are very honest with you. So I, I think that if she said that that wasn't good, I would have believed her.
2: My, my my triplets haven't my triplets just turned twelve uh about a month ago so i'm uh I'm, I'm, I'm i haven't hit that part of my my journey yet with them but i'm looking forward to it
1: <laughs> yeah well you know so uh, around these years they can be too critical so maybe don't don't really believe everything that they say
2: <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough so you know one of one of the the um people I follow in the field as well, and I know you do as well or know Carol Dweck. And so I've been reading about her research of around mindsets for years. So how does how does motivation interweave into, you know, what we're trying to change or like the the how we're trying to change our mindsets. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, let, let me first say that you know, I, I'm glad that you mentioned Carol Dweck because uh, she's like one of those people that we are doing it for for a long time. Okay, so when I say like back when we, there were like fifteen of us, uh, she was my my role model. She uh, uh, was some someone I would go and, and talk to uh, uh, in conferences, in in meetings because she was doing uh, uh, research in motivation, and her idea was that people can choose to frame what happens in in different ways and that that will influence how motivated they are, in particular when bad things happen, when they get negative feedback. Now, in general, when we think about how people motivate themselves, they can either change their situation, they can change the circumstances, they can change the environment, or they can change the way they think about the environment. So changing the environment, just to give you an example, I set an alarm clock. I set an alarm clock. It will go off, and and now my uh, quiet, uh, uh, cozy uh, room is is a noisy place where I cannot sleep. Carol suggested that we don't have, necess- we don't have to necessarily change the the situation. We can change the way we we think about it. We can take a, a failure uh, experience, uh, a negative experience, and and think about it in terms of growth gain okay? and, and think about it in terms of uh, uh, lessons that that uh, that we have learned uh lack of progress that should be compensated for uh, with with more work
2: well, i think the kids these days would call uh carol the og original gangster <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair enough
2: so when when I often speak with, with families in, in the world of, of financial planning, I think one of the reasons why I've become so interested in your work and, and the work of other behavioral scientists is because so much I think of what I do uh, with families is more on the psychology side, on the behavioral side than it is the financial side. I think there's still an overwhelming stereotype out there about what people think a financial advisor is or what they do and i've been I've been trying for the last two to three years I would say to try to break that that mold if you will, and really focus on the behavioral side of people's relationships with money because it can have a, a much bigger impact than than anything else and so when people usually come to my office they pick up the phone they call they they finally have reached this this tipping point um, but what I'm interested in is how people find internally the motivation to do something for themselves um, rather than a life event, forcing them to do something for them. So for example, like take somebody that's um, I don't know, maybe overweight (laughs) another good time of the year to pick this topic. And so they know that they need to eat right exercise, all of those things, but they don't do it until they have something potentially tragic happen to them, maybe have a, a heart attack or something like that, or diabetes shows up in, 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 in a test or something like that. So what what I'm interested in finding out is how do people, I guess, basically self-motivate themselves? Like how do they get to that, that tipping point without somebody or somebody's hand pushing them over the edge?
1: So, you know, you're proposing one way in which people have to face the problem, right? So, you, you have to face your financial trouble when uh, that you get to the tipping point, okay, when uh, it's no longer possible to uh, go on, you have to face certain health issues uh, when uh, the world is telling you that this is just not going to work, okay, that there, there is a, a crisis alternatively another way in which people can can address these goals is that when they they actually feel good about themselves they feel that they have the power they feel that uh, that doing something about it is going to be fun it's going to be intrinsically motivated that uh, it's not just about the ends it's also about the way there That the way there is going to be uh, exciting and now, if we can stick to the, the two goals that you uh, mentioned, which are the, the financial and like, the, the health goals, in terms of financial goals, that one barrier is that it doesn't sound fun. <laughs> it doesn't sound fun to learn about it. Okay. it's like what you say. Like people are just like it, it's too complicated. It's math. I don't understand it. It's like economics. Let's just not think about it. Uh, and it sounds like it's basically going to be a, a lot of avoidance uh, activities. Okay, it's don't do this. Don't do that. Okay, and and we know there's so much research showing that. People don't like to pursue avoidance goals they're much more excited about approach goals doing something is, is like it's fun it's energizing not doing it is, is daunting okay it's, it's not fun uh, and so one way in which you can get yourself to do that before there is a crisis is by thinking oh that is going to be interesting okay that is going to be immediately rewarding i'm going to feel good about myself, okay, I'm going to find new ways to organize my life in a way that is uh, that is rewarding. And it's not only rewarding, so that if I save money, I can then spend it is that I will find ways to match my income to my expenses in a way that allows me to have a fulfilling life that allows me to uh, to grow as a person in terms of health. Of course, one reason people start pursuing health goals is because they just saw their physicians and there was a crisis but the other thing is that they they just realized that there is a way to make this a good part of my life okay that while society uh, in particular western society may have taught us that uh, it's either being healthy or having fun okay that uh, that tasty food is is unhealthy that's actually not the case. Okay. A healthy food can be tasty and it might require some learning and some exploration. But the journey is going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting. And and, and that's another way to you know, try to get yourself to engage in these goals from a point of strength, from a point of expecting that to, to be intrinsically motivating.
2: So do you see when when people have a higher chance or expectation of, of achieving their goals or or getting through to them that it's it's some kind of positive I don't know if reinforcement is the right word I can't remember exactly the right word that you used is that is that the right way to look at that
1: yeah, I'm not quite sure uh, which word you, you think you're looking for, so I'm not sure I can give it to you. Uh, but I will say that there is uh, already research from uh, the, the 90s showing that people are better at setting goals and adhering to them when they are in a positive mood. Yeah, the positive mood serves as, as a resource to, uh, to go and do something about it. So uh, think about, uh, uh, Getting on the journey when uh, when you're strong, when you're uh, able, when you feel good about yourself.
2: So uh, that actually kind of leads me into to my next question is, is setting goals harmful or hurtful um, when it comes to motivation? Because it, it kind of aligns to if, if you don't meet your goal, then you beat yourself up. And I think sometimes we become so focused on the goal that we forget the 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 journey and and how to enjoy it
1: yes and and that's how goals are good their bad reputation okay and uh, well it depends a bit on what do you mean by setting a goal because some goals you already have okay you, you want to uh, have your finance under control you, you want to be a healthy person uh, maybe you you want to have better relationships with some people, and all these are goals that you already have, okay? And often when people say set goals, they mean setting targets, that is putting a number on this goal, okay? So I want to be healthy, and I think that that means exercising five times per week. Okay, And now we have a target, and now we can ask whether it makes sense to take this abstract goal of being healthy and make it into five workouts uh, in a week. In general, yes, okay, these uh, specific numbers, how much and how soon helps people. There is great uh, study that looked at uh, marathon times in, in the US and there are many more people that finish the marathon just under four hours, okay, so like three hours and 58 minutes than just over four hours, that is, four hours and two minutes. Now, how how is this possible? Well, it's it's possible because four hours is highly motivated for someone who runs a marathon. I don't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Me neither.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you put that number and now it motivates you, but the number might not be right for you. Okay. And so you might be chasing some number that is actually not right for you, that uh, will Mean that you compromise some other important goals, uh, or that you cut corners in order to to get there. Okay, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, uh, my uh, uh, young uh, son who, uh, uh, like the first time he got this like uh, a Fitbit watch, he was like waving his hand in the air to try to get steps. <laughs> okay, so. I mean, this is a naive perception of, uh, uh, like, what does it mean to meet the goal? It's like, uh, uh, do whatever it takes. Okay. So you're not actually walking, right? but you're know, getting the target number. And so the, the numbers can uh, can be good for you. They are often good for you, but they need to be evaluated. You need to be careful with these numbers.
2: So w- listening to you kind of explain that, the, the way that... A, a a a way that I work with with the families is to rather than starting with like a goal or an action item, I actually start with what's their their ideals or their purpose? So um, helping support their kids through college that's that's a purpose. And then underneath that is an overlining objective, like, well, how do I do this? Or, or what do I do in order to help support my my kids uh, through college? And then there's an an action item. So if I if I lay this example out, you know, helping support my kids get through college, objective is you know having a a, a savings plan, and then under that savings plan is okay having a five twenty nine set up, and then having I don't know some monthly automatic contribution each month. So it, it, if if I break it down like that. I let, how, where, where could, where could that go wrong? Is there, is there an area in that equation, if you will, where, you know, somebody could, you know, go off the rails?
1: So what you're doing is an exercise of going abstract and then going concrete. Okay. So like, let's think about what is the, the purpose of what you are doing, which is going up. So, okay, why are you doing it? Why should you save money? Okay, what are you trying to achieve? What is important for you in your life? And, and then going down again, okay, and, and trying to see what, what the actions that uh, are, are necessary to take here. Uh, it is absolutely important to be abstract, okay? To think about the why and not get stuck with that, uh, uh, just the how uh, there is, uh, Really wonderful research by uh, ken fujita at uh, ohio state university showing that people have more self control when they are thinking about the why okay when they are asking why am i doing it we need to be careful that so that the why doesn't become so abstract such that it no longer leads to any action okay and so if you just ask like wh- why should you say it because i Oh, I, I want to help my kids with, with college why should you help your kids with with college because i want them to be successful people why D- do you want that and, and it can keep going and at one point you just like a person is just like you no know, waving their hands and then say ah because it will make me happy okay and, and to me that's probably a bit too abstract because now i'm asking well how can you be happy and most people would not say, oh, by saving money for my kids so they can go to college, okay? Like it, it's no longer connects. And what I'm, I'm illustrating with this example is that you you want to ask why questions and then go back to the how and find the, the sweet spot where they they connect. Okay? The, um, the worry with just going abstract, just going off the wheel with like, the why question is that uh, your goals become fantasies. And uh, uh, the, what research tells us is that when people are fantasizing, when you just imagine how wonderful it will be paying for your kids' tuition, that doesn't lead to action. Okay? The, the, the example that I'm being reminded from studies is that when people imagine getting a job, getting their dream job, they were not more likely to send job applications it's when they had a plan for getting their dream job that they were sending job applications
2: is is within the work that you do is there a secret to try to finding and honing in on that sweet spot between you know asking the 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 enough why questions but then bringing it back to the objective or even you know smart goal if you will with with tying it with you know action with numbers <sighs>
1: Yeah, we usually start by asking people to list their goals, like their important uh, goals in life, and then uh, try to answer why. Why are these goals important for you? And kind of go up, okay, make it more abstract. And once they do uh, that, then we ask them, how uh, will you achieve these goals and getting them to be uh, more uh, concrete and what we can get with this exercise is what we refer to as the person's goal system, okay? What are the goals, how they relate to each other, okay? How they relate to goals that override them, okay? So like your basic values, how they relate to sub-goals and means and activities that help you get there.
2: What about when somebody is really struggling to just, they, they, they have a hard time identifying like what their goals are, like how does how does that work? Like that's because that that's something I run into I I feel like often is I, and I try not to I try to avoid this question when I first meet with with families is okay, well tell me what your your goals are, both personally and financially. And I usually get like a deer in the headlight look. And because I don't know if I think for most people, they've never taken the time to really to think about, gee, what is it that I really want?
1: Well, they, they were not thinking about it in the abstract level. There are probably more things that they want to do this week that they can probably do, okay? And so the other side of the coin, which I actually think is, is more common, I mean, not in the reflection exercise, but it's more common in people's behavior, is that there are just more things that you are trying to do than what is possible, and that they might conflict with each other. Okay, so you you might have uh, opened a saving account and and also uh, uh, purchased a new car, and that just uh, doesn't go well uh, together. Uh, and and so it's um, no, it's more that the challenge is to get people to uh, uh, sit down and and reflect, okay, and, and think about what's uh, what's important uh, in my life, and also realize that it changes as as we go through life, okay. That, you know, most, uh, uh, well, all parents at one point did not have kids, right? And so they, <laughs> there was this change and, and that meant that their goals uh, have changed. There was a really interesting research in developmental psychology, looking at like these action crisis where you, um, you realize that uh, you need to change your goals, that the way you used to live your life just doesn't work anymore, okay? Which could be because you can no longer run Maybe you, you got to the age where this is uh, just uh, it doesn't fit your body, or that you can no longer uh, go out as much as you have wished because now you have a triplet.
2: <laughs> very very true. <laughs> not
1: yeah, not me. That's uh, you, not, not me.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a, a life changing experience for sure. So if if I bring this back to the book because there's a couple of topics I wanted to to really uh, hone in on 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 the book is. To have you talk about um, this term that you, you use, attacking the, the middle problem, what, is, what do you mean by that? And, and I'll just let you run with it.
1: <laughs> I would be happy to. So when we start something new, we are excited. Okay, there is this energy that we bring to this new beginning. That This is now the, you know, the, the beginning of the year and, and people are excited about their goals. Okay? So the, the first start effect that Katie Milkman uh, studied, uh, there is a lot of data that when people start on something, they do it well okay? and they just do it. Okay, uh, Often when there is a clear end point, you see again that there is this like, this increase in, in motivation. So think about goals that have like a very clear endpoint, like the, the last class that you need to take towards some degree or uh, uh, no, the last purchase that you need to make uh, uh, to win a reward in some loyalty program. You're highly motivated, you're doing it well, uh, you're uh, excited. In the middle, this is uh, where we, we see a problem and we see a problem in motivation because first whatever you do doesn't feel like it makes much of an impact okay so you know my my first action made 100% of the progress so far my last action is 100% of the remaining uh, progress in, in the middle i might feel like i'm working towards something but it, it doesn't really make much of a, of a difference and the other reason why in the middle we, we see this motivational uh, decline is that it's, uh, it's easy to forget about the goal, it's, it's easy to forget about what my actions reflect on me as a person, we just don't pay attention in the middle, we don't remember things that we did in the middle and so just to you know to give you an example of that we we ran a, a really uh fun study that was with a rematur artillery at northwestern and uh, we gave people uh, basically a, a pair of scissors and a piece of paper on which we had several shapes that we uh, pointed and th- these shapes had like arrows and they were kind of hard to to cut and the task was simple just cut out these shapes people were doing a good job for the first shape and for the last shape, but for the middle shapes, they were literally cutting corners. Okay, they cut the corners of the shapes. Okay. Now what's going on here? Well, you don't really pay attention, you know, your mind uh, wanders you're not on, on the task, and, and that's the the middle problem. And so now you might ask for a solution, and I would say the best solution that I found is to keep middle
2: short. Keep The middle short, you, you, you knew I was going to ask that question, I let so that can you so how do you keep the middle short?
1: So let's take uh, you know, a, a saving for retirement goal,
2: yeah, because that I was just going to say that you yeah. it's like you're reading my mind today. I was just going to say that because retirement saving is so long and people that's that's a huge middle,
1: <laughs> right? It's it's terrible, it's a terrible goal because the middle is your life, okay, like what. <laughs> Like what does it mean? Uh, like the beginning and 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 the end. Like you, you're really like you're living your life in the, in the middle, and, and so you have to uh, break it into sub goals. You have to have an annual uh, retirement saving goal, okay, or uh, you know a, a monthly uh, uh, saving goal, or uh, a weekly exercise uh, uh, goal, or uh, you know a daily step. Uh, uh, goal. basically you have to think about the smallest unit that still makes sense. Okay, now it doesn't make sense to think about how much I save for retirement today. Okay, like, Really like most of us, like we manage our finances in a unit of like a month or a mm-hmm. year, okay? And so think about this unit, what is your financial goal for the month or for the year, or however you manage it, maybe you're getting paid um, on a weekly basis and, and then you can think about a weekly uh, goal, but try to make it uh, such that there is less of a middle and more of beginnings and ends.
2: So that brings me to the other topic I wanted to talk about regarding your book. And you, you really, I think do a great job of emphasizing this is letting others help you. Why is that so important? And, and so there's the why and then the, the, my follow-up question is well, how do you do that
1: <laughs> well why because we are social animals because humans are uh, living their lives in in Okay, we are part of a family we are part of a community we are doing things with other people and in the presence of other people and we look around and we look at what other people think is important and then it's important for us uh, and and giving that this is just the way we evolved as as a human species, like we cannot do something for a long time if the people around us are are not supportive. Okay, what that means is that either you are going to drop that goal or you are going to uh, change the people that are around you. Okay, you you are going to convince them that this goal is important, or you're going to you know, find a new social group because we are just unable to uh, uh, do uh, uh, things without looking around at other people and seek their help and, and seek their, their support. So this is on a very abstract level, just the, the idea that you will work on your goals by by yourself in, in your basement and no one will know and like you will not care about it, this is just unrealistic. In terms of how, well, now there are just uh, many things that fall into like, this like, social bucket. Okay? Some goals we do with others, okay? like you know, a project at work that I work on with another person or, or raising a family, okay? or something that I'm doing as a community. Some goals we are doing in the presence of others, so others are watching me. Okay? And by the fact that they do that, uh, they might make me more, work harder. No, I I know that they are looking at me. Uh, I might uh, uh, take mimic what other people are doing, and so I you know I think we buy stuff that other people are buying. We eat food that other people are, are uh, eating. So conformity is uh, uh, is a big part of how we pursue our goals, and we there are different strategies that help us for each of the. Like, these specific ways in which others are part of the equation.
2: So would you say in, in your research that having supportive people around you that know and understand your goal um, is, I guess, a, 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 not a motivating factor, but a factor that really helps somebody be able to achieve that goal?
1: Absolutely. You have to uh, find the people that uh, support your goals uh, because otherwise, this is just not going to work. Uh, Just uh, uh, the other day, uh, I worked on on a paper uh, where uh, what we found is that relationship satisfaction is mainly a function of how much you feel the person with whom you're in a relationship knows you and understands your goals. Why is it so important to be in a relationship with someone who knows my goals? Well, because if they know, they can be supportive. Okay? If if they know where I'm going, they uh, can encourage me on, on the way there. Uh, many years ago, we ran uh, uh, some studies. Uh, this was with uh, Grania Fitzsimmons now at Duke, where we, we found that when students think about the academic work that they need to do, they are seeking the company of other students that they think care about academics. They are looking for friends that will advocate for these goals. And when they feel good with their academic progress, this is when they, they look around and you know, search for those friends that might be more into partying than studying. But it, it's very intuitive for people to, to look for the company of those who help uh, what's less intuitive sometimes is that uh, uh, we do need to share our goals. We do need to let the people in our life know what we are doing and make sure that they are on board.
2: Is there is there anything else from from Get It Done that you would that you would want the audience to know about? Any other one or two key takeaways?
1: there is so much, okay?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> let me think. Uh, uh, well, we, we mentioned that you, you need to change your circumstances. You need to be uh, intrinsically uh, motivated. That is, you need to be excited about what you are uh, doing. Um, I, I would say that, let me say that how you monitor progress uh, matters. So you need to look back at the beginning and when you are less sure of yourself you need to see how much you have done even if it's baby steps just look back and, and monitor the progress so far only once you are beyond that the midpoint or you feel confident this is when you you need to uh, look ahead uh, give advice to other people to motivate yourself that's a, a simple trick that uh, we studied that uh, really boost the motivation exercise self-control uh, look for more balance between your goals and i can go on but i stop. i could i could could
2: have you here for another hour so Uh, yeah
1: i'll stop here
2: (laughs) (laughs) well and that's the thing is i I already know like i could have you on for for another hour so that just means i'll have to have you back on um so I, i know i only have you for a finite period of time so let me let me get to the closing question i asked all of my guests. And you've already mentioned a few times that, that you have children. So what is the best thing about being a parent?
1: Oh, for me, uh, it is uh, watching them uh, grow up. Okay. So I have um, I have two girls that are in their late 20s and a son who had just turned 11, which means that I have kids that are very different they're very far uh, in in age and very different in uh, uh, their life stages that it's just wonderful to see them growing and i used to think that they could ever age they have reached that this is the perfect age okay and now i know that like every age is like so interesting and and so perfect in its own way and uh, just like sit back and watch them grow it's amazing
2: Yeah. I, um, I, I love asking that question. I, and I'm sure I've said this hundreds of times now, but I, I love asking that question because of the, of the, um, uniqueness of, of everyone's answers, um, that that has come on the show. But I couldn't agree with you more because I get that question a lot where what's, what's it like having triplets and, and I tell them it's every year is different. It's, it's some things, Get easier and some things get harder, and so I'm always interested in 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 somebody like your situation. I let where you have a big gap between your kids as as opposed to mine. Like, you know, I have triplets, and then then my plus one is only like two years, you know, younger. So they're all bunched together. So I don't I don't really get too much diversification in, in the ages.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you just have to. Uh- remember how they were last year so you will appreciate how different they are how much they have grown how much they know more and it's kind of uh, just amazing to see uh, humans grow up
2: well i think that's a a very fitting way to to wrap up this first conversation with you because i know that you'll be back on but i can't thank you enough for being on the
0: emotional balance sheet podcast
1: Thanks for having me. And uh, anytime, just call me. We'll uh, do part two.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.